Conversations with A and J, a conversation between two friends who are dedicated to uplifting and encouraging women to advocate for themselves, enjoy silly bouts of laughter, and so much more. I'm Alicia, the owner of The Purple Dash, nearly certified energy healer and an all-around fun girl living in the Twin Cities. I'm Jess, owner of Raw Inspiration Dance Company, dedicated women's health advocate and lover of laughter living just outside of Chicago. And we're your hosts. And today is part two of our two-part series with our amazing friend and guest, Kristen Saucier of A New Year, New Me. And we're so excited to do that. But before we get started, let's just go over a couple things. Remember that we do not edit out our bad words, so listener discretion is advised. Information shared on this podcast should not be viewed as medical advice. As always, any information shared is for educational and informational purposes only. Anyone experiencing a medical or mental health crisis should speak with a medical provider directly. Listening to this podcast does not establish a client-provider relationship. So here we are. We're in episode two. Um, We're also traveling in the future and back again in the DeLorean. So don't worry about us. We're totally (laughs) fine. Um, But we're going to talk to you a little bit about some new and nows. So... Alicia, what is new and now with you since we talked to you last week? (laughs) So my new now is actually, I just want to share a TikToker that I have discovered and I love everything about him. His uh, sign-in is Don O'Friend, D-O-N-O-F-R-I-E-N-D. He is a elementary teacher and um he seems to be the most uplifting teacher ever. I actually commented on a video and I told him that if I'm ever blessed with children, may my children have teachers with his spirit because it's so uplifting. And he'll like, he'll like show, cause he's a Zoom teacher right now. And so he'll show how he's like, buddy, I'm just, I just wanted you to know that I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud that you're like, asking questions and giving feedback now and that's amazing and then um his his students seem very caring and they're like we just want you to know that we love how much you care for us and he's and he'll be like hey can I talk to your mom and like of course every kid's first thought is like oh my gosh I'm about to get in trouble he's like no man I just want to blow you up I want to let her know how amazing you are and I just like love his spirit. And anytime he comes in my feed, I think, God, the world needs people like him. So follow him, look him mm-hmm. up. It's Dono Friend, D-O-N-O-F-R-I-E-N-D. Nice. Yeah. And you know what? We need to celebrate teachers so much right now. They have been put through the ringer. They single-handedly adjusted and pivoted right when they needed to at, with no uh, warning or foresight into what they were going to be held um, to do this past spring into this fall. There are teachers that are pivoting and doing the hokey pokey from hybrid to in-person to all virtual every other day. And they're trying so hard Mm -hmm. and they are realizing that the best thing that they can do is be there for these kids. I would speak, mo- you know, I'm, I deal mostly with middle school, middle school and high school kids right now, but the elementary school and those, those early, early education teachers are, are not going to out of the park. The high school teachers are 
being a little bit of everything for these kids. So thank you for bringing up just an incredible creator who is also an incredible educator because we need to, we need to celebrate them loud and proud. Um, My new and now is because I'm obsessed also with TikTok and I sent it to Alicia, but um, it was this TikTok of someone saying, Hey, do you want to organize your desktop? So if you are like me, I have folders for everything. I save a lot of things to my desktop. Don't yell at me, John Blunk. I know you listen to my podcast. He's our (laughs) IT guy at the Paramount. And he tells me to save everything to the queue. And I don't. I save it to my desktop first and then move it to the queue in copy form. Um, So don't yell at me. But um, I do, I save a lot of things to my desktop and they do all have folders, but I I saw this really cool idea where you could create in Canva, if you're not associated with Canva, it's a pretty simple um, graphic design. If you use Canva, that does not make you a graphic design artist. So I'm just going to put that there. There are people who spend thousands of dollars and hours being graphic designers. So this is not to put them out of business, but you can go in and you can create a desktop or a wall desktop wallpaper. So you can create an image. And then I saw this person and they basically made boxes and then used a really cool font for organization things. So I did that. I will post a picture of it on our social media so you can see it, but it was like a thing. For, I made a box for accounting, a box for RIDC, a box for podcast, a box for uh, my friend's dance company that I'm helping her with some um, administrative stuff. And it's just so that I can put the full in the appropriate place. Um, And then it's all kind of organized in a nice way instead of me looking at each little folder and what I've titled it. Because I also always title it too. Like there's not un known folders or dated folders on on my um things so i found great pleasure in it so that's my new and now i made one for my work computer one for my little mac one for my big mac and it was and i also made one for my boss and i sent it to her and i said this is for you um to help organize her because she also has a desktop that looks like mine which is eight million boxes so um we'll we'll post a little thing (laughs) on our social media um to that as well but I just love organization it's like when the new uh whatchamacallit happened the update on the iPhone and I went through and I updated all of my apps to have a pretty picture and now you know like it's all I I showed you that that was insanity but back to (laughs) it it's a new year I'm the same me but it's supposed to be a new me so um, maybe in 2021, that's when it will happen for me. I'm not quite sure, but um, well, I did. I do know that 2021 is 20 years after I pledged my sorority. So that makes me feel real old because <laughs> I joined my sorority in 2001, in the spring of 2001. <laughs> um, anyway. Okay, back to our conversation. We have learned a lot of things. We talked about um, the diet culture industry and how it's just really going to try to stick it to us like it does every new year. Uh, We are all in agreement, all three of us, that it's going to be a little extra potent this year because everybody's trying to make people feel bad for anything that has happened in 2020. Like we need anything more to feel bad about. Um, Our body size does not need to be one of them, but we are also in the, uh, not the dawn, the dawn of Aquarius, if you will, as as of tomorrow, apparently. Um, But we are in deep controls of social media. So Kristen, 
I, I posed this question to you. We talked about it a little bit through email, all three of us. What I'm meaning in this question, because I did not elaborate articulately enough, is if you could be like the master controller, like if you were Mark Zuckerberg or whatever his name is, who secretly owns every social media platform any of us are on, um, uh, and you could control social media, what are some things that you would delete? Like in my head, I would instantly start to delete like shit hashtags, like that try to make people, that put us up on people's algorithms or things like that. Um, or like, I know you said you would get rid of or ban the people who are disguising weight loss as health things. But tell me a little bit, like what would you do? Cause you talked about last episode about a social media detox or a cleanse. Tell us how you would do that. Yeah. So like I said, what I normally do, and this can be very individualized for people. And that's normally where I put my focus, right? I ask people to go through their own social media feeds and really go to each account that they're following, right? Even friends um, or people that they know personally, um, because those can also be very toxic um, and negative for some people, right? And take a look and really think about each account and know or decide, does this make me feel, does seeing this content make me feel good? Does it make me feel great? Does it make me feel uplifted, um, connected, whole, you know, or does it leave me feeling broken or less than, or, you know, lacking, um, you know, in some capacity. And so what I really encourage people to do is if the answer is no, this does not make me feel great. And usually when I see this information, I tend to feel a little down or I feel a little self-conscious or whatever. We say delete it, block, delete, unsubscribe, whatever you need to do. You're not hurting anybody's feelings. You are not, you are not obligated to watch people, you know, and for certain um, platforms like Facebook, you know, if you don't want to quote unquote unfriend somebody, you can mute them or you, you have options. You know, you do not have the, um, you're not obligated to engage. You're not obligated to read this shit if it makes you feel less than. And so that's really kind of one of the things that I focus on. And then again, on the flip side, right? Cause if we're going to remove a whole block of content from somebody's feed, we really want to make sure that we are adding back into it. Um, and so I have a lot of, um, body positive recovery focused accounts. Um, mine is one of them, although I have not been as, maybe that's my goal for 2021, be a little bit more present on, on the social media now, uh, like I used to be, because that was a really positive experience for me, but <clears throat> really giving people tools um, and different avenues to um, follow, different accounts to follow that resonate with them or that um, you know share a piece of their recovery story um, or just that are adding some kind of um, not just positivity, but also diversity into mm. their feeds. Right. And I, you know, I have kind of two ways that I do a social, social media detox. One of the ways, um, <clears throat> and one of the ways that I do that is again, by saying, look through and, and delete anything that's not joyful. And let's add some, some joyful, um, positivity back into your life. The other thing that I help people do especially when um, somebody is really struggling with, you know, either internalized fat phobia or their own weight stigma or their own beliefs about certain body sizes. You know, the brain is really um, a, like a very, <clears throat> uh, you know, neuroplasticity is a wonderful thing, right? And it can, neurons that fire together, wire together. I say that I got that from that book, The Body Keeps the Score, which is one of my favorite things um, by Bessel. Anyway, <laughs> wonderful book. I probably screwed up his name. Regardless, um, 
he talks a lot about neuroplasticity and trauma. Um, and one of the ways that we do that or try to break down fat phobic, um, you know, like initial thoughts or initial worries or concerns or whatever is to go out and seek fat positive um, accounts, right? Members of the fat activist community, um, pages and content and, and accounts that really highlight diversity in all spectrums, not just, um, you know, race for sure, gender, size is a big one, all age, <clears throat> abilities, all of these, right? But a lot of the time, because, you know, for my clients and for a lot of us, right, there's so much stigma attached to a certain body size. So when we see a certain body size, if it is not something that is consistently represented in our media platforms, which is fucking not, um, unfortunately have to go out and actively seek out uh, differences and diversity. And so that's another thing that I encourage people to do is to really, I give them a list of fat positive accounts where they're going to see different bodies of all different differences, right? Size and weight being one of them primarily, but also, you know, all the other um, pieces of the puzzle. And so I think those are probably the biggest things. So I know that's not necessarily what I would delete or what I would do, but I really help to try and navigate that um, for their own experience. Well, and I love the thought, like you said, like for everything that you take away, you replace it with something else. Because I think if you get into a moment of cutting away and cutting away and you're not replenishing it with things that are going to help you, you could be left in a void, right? Where you're not really seeing anything that would stimulate something for you. So, um, or other stuff will find its way back to you. And then you're just in this constant state of getting rid, right? As opposed to filling your cup with the things that you want to see. So I love the thought of that. Um, and I know that I have been trying to do that. I know that Alicia and I have a lot of that, um, those kind of accounts pop up on um, like our TikTok when we're looking at it and we are feverishly always sending each other TikToks that we like or a person who we really like and um, one of the big things like you said which leads me into my next question is people who are in a fat positive space right but I have seen a lot of people who are in larger bodies again and I speak we're, we're speaking right now about larger bodies but it can be all different sort like that's the other thing too is the 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 thought of what is a larger body is also very individual. Like mm -hmm. one person, I look at people and they're like, well, I'm a size 12. And I'm like, I'm a size 12 as well. And I don't look like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so everybody's body composition is different. We have to remember that, um, you know, and so it's, it's interesting to see that, but I'm seeing these larger bodied or people who are identifying as a larger bodied person um, that are social media influencers but they and they're calling out their haters they're like literally posting little kind of like this is what this person has said to me and like shame on this person because first of all they're saying it to someone that they don't know so haters are out there they're real they're trolls we know that um and you know, like, so there, there, some of the things are, you can't be a trainer, look at the size of you. Um, how mm. could you be a CrossFit trainer? Like blah, blah, blah. Or you shouldn't be doing this. You're promoting the O word, right? Again, which O word is so subjective. It was made up by the health insurance industry to get more money out of people. We've talked about that previously, but how would you as a professional maybe advise these larger bodied goddesses is what I call them. So they might be influencers, but I think they're goddesses because they're beautiful and they're smart and they're articulate and they're going to bat for people 
who aren't as you know vocal um how how would you maybe even help them with a little bit more um i would say clinical help or advice um for these fat phobic assholes because that's what they are right like they're just scared of people who are in a larger body for god knows why so what's some clinical help you would give them (laughs) I mean, I think the answer is very simple, you know, and it goes back to one of our last episodes that we did together, right? The O word is directly derived from the BMI scale, nothing else, right? That is it. And I, and I, for our listeners that maybe didn't hear the last episode, I do want to recap a little bit about the BMI scale. Um, It was invented by a Belgian mathematician, statistician, and astronomer, not not a health professional, um, and it was to measure the average sizes of populations. And even he said <laughs> that it was not intended to be used to measure individual health. Um, also, it was created using white men, white men of European descent as its standard. So again, we'll let that sink in, right? So not only is applying the BMI scale to anybody outside of the white race racist, it is completely and unapologetically discounting the various shapes and sizes across races. Um, It's a complete and honorably bullshit measure of somebody's health. And the only reason, just as you were saying, that it is part of our medical system today is because health and life insurance companies began using it around the turn of the 20th century to categorize people into these different weight categories, quote unquote, normal weight, quote unquote, underweight, quote unquote, overweight, and quote unquote, obese, right? And um, they did that so that they could start connecting it to health or lack thereof Um, and turn a higher profit. And they did so. They did this by influencing doctors and physicians using data and literature that they created Mm -hmm. (laughs) in an attempt to illustrate the supposed risks of higher weights. And like you said, Jess, it's because money was at stake. And for centuries prior to that, the culture had already shifted, been shifting, excuse me, in an anti-fat direction. It was fairly easy for the theory that higher weights cause worse health, worse health outcomes to take root in the medical, in the medical community. And I, you know, that recap is uh, pulled directly out of Christy Harrison's book, Anti-Diet, which we still recommend everybody read. It's fantastic. But again, here we are today. So circling back to your original question, right? How would um, I advise these larger body goddesses to respond to these phobic assholes? You know, and the answer is, I would recommend that these these goddesses ask these fat phobic assholes to check their fucking privilege and to circle back with an actually scientifically sound and evidence-based argument. Yeah. Period. It's so interesting because I also was reading because I just read a book called Cast, The Origin of Our Discontent. And it talks a little bit about mm. eugenics, which was heavily used in the Third Reich and with the Nazi Germany. And they always were using some of the things that were brought from this mathematician who created um, the BMI scale, which was also part of a eugenics experiment, which is again why they used only white European males. So BMI is racist. It is also sexist because they didn't think that women mm. were included in that population because women were of a lower caste and did not enjoy like need a seat at the table. So for any man or keyboard warrior that is 
being ridiculous on any woman's social media page talking about their size, like you said, without clinical, legitimate scientific data besides quoting an uh all I can think of now when we think of the BMI scale is the tight scale. Like that's literally what it looks like to me. Like when you're trying to find a pair of tights and you're like, oh, this might work out. We'll see. I'm out the crotch. I'm out the crotch. Um, which is never fair for me. Cause like every no. time I have to get a pair of tights, it thinks I have legs the size of my whole entire body. So yeah, yeah no, 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 thank you. That was such a good answer and that's such a good recap listeners. And I, I hope that everybody enjoys that information because Christy Harrison, I listen to her podcast every week anyway, and she actually just had a really good episode um, about some studies that are coming out because I'm just going to circle this back to COVID-19. There has been so much talk about people who are the O word um, potentially being at a higher risk. And there is just not a medical proven um, association with body size to covid co-morbilities, more morbidities, excuse me, morbidities, meaning they died because they were obese and they had COVID. So they, it's just very interesting to see how many times people try to blame someone's body size. Um, Now there can be, right, when people are sedentary and they're not, you know, there's other things, there's genetics that go into it. You are predisposed in your genes to have specific things that happen and within your body or how your body breaks down things or processes things. So that's a lot of scientific stuff that we won't have time to cover on the podcast today. But I think it's really important to say that, like when people say these awful, hurtful things about someone's body size, they have no idea. They're not, they're not in the person's doctor's appointments when they get their labs and they don't have high blood pressure or high cholesterol or high glucose levels, you know what I mean? Like they don't know. So it's just so crazy to me when they, when they see that for someone and they can't fathom that they would be a healthy person in a larger right. body. Right. Like, and be beautiful. Cause some of these women are like, girl, tell right. me your secrets. Right. Like their <laughs> hair and their lips and their makeup. And I'm like, and how do you style yourself? Because I am as stylish as they get in my jogger suits right now. Okay. Right. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. The way that they can style a little crop top with like the perfect pair of like Kmart jeans. I'm like, <laughs> right. Hey, I'm never wearing jeans again. So I don't, I don't, I don't even care pandemic or not. I'm never wearing them. I'm only wearing elastic pants. Like my four-year-old self when I was a child. Um, <laughs> We chatted a little bit last time about intuitive eating and you really explained everything so well to us. So listeners, if you haven't um, listened to that episode, please do because we went through the 10 specific things. And what the last one, the very last step was what I really, I know that I am struggling with personally and that was gentle nutrition. Because I feel like a lot of people don't realize that steps one through nine really need to kind of happen before you get to that 10th step because again everybody thinks or wrongly um, thinks because of the information we've been force fed for so many centuries is that what we put in our mouth is what what um, makes our health right Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I'm just finding it really hard to get to that step Um, so is there like not even just tips but like how can you give us some um, advice that it doesn't matter how long it takes till we get to that step. Because I feel like everyone is always like, I just gotta, I gotta eat the salad and I gotta eat lean and green. And like, once I get there, then it's the gentle nutrition and I'm going to be thinking about my nutrition and all this other stuff is, you know, like, why doesn't this come this way or reverse it, you know? So um, 
gently tell us again why it's the last step and how maybe some tips on how we can be more gracious with ourselves as we wait to get to that step. Totally. So, so yeah, Jess, you're, you're definitely not alone. <clears throat> you know, gentle nutrition is often the trickiest for, um, the trickiest one for many people. And, you know, because of that, it, that is the reason that it is the last principle on the intuitive eating journey, you know, gentle nutrition can really only be approached once you move through and really embody all of the, all the other principles first, and then circling back to reassess whether your food choices line up with your values. So for example, if a chronic dieter decided to say, become vegetarian, which by the way, not inherently disordered to be vegetarian. I want to make that very clear, but let's say that they did right. Chronic diet decided to become vegetarian because they believed it was healthier. Um, and they began their intuitive eating journey. They would really have to do the work around, um, <clears throat> sorry, I totally just lost my mind. Okay. <laughs> they would really have to do the work around learning to, first of all, reject the diet mentality, you know, um, to acknowledge and honor, then honor their hunger, right? Which that can take a lot of time if you've been restrictive for so long. Um, then they need to be able to make peace with all foods uh, to then also challenge the food police, which is that negative self-talk and judgment. They need to be able to then discover and implement pleasure and enjoyment into their eating experience was just a huge one, huge one for me. Um, then learning to recognize and honor their fullness, um, learn to cope with their emotions with kindness, which is, I also like to say, adding additional tools to the emotional toolbox aside from food, not eliminate food as a tool, right? But just to add others to it, to then respect their body and their genetic blueprint and rediscover their relationship with movement for joy um, instead of out of obligation. Um, and, and really once that is all into place, that person will then be more well-equipped to kind of circle back to their original decision to become say vegetarian and really explore whether or not it aligns with these values, right? That they have, um, you know, these intuitive eating values and uh, that they've discovered along their journey. And, you know, the timeline <laughs> for this journey really varies for everybody because you have to allow yourself ample time and space to move through each of these principles before you can begin to move to the next. And then it, again, like I said, it takes the circling back and the reassessment, right, of your decisions around food. You know, I mean, for example, I'll use myself. Uh, I, <clears throat> when I was very new to the, uh, the practice of nutrition, right out of college, I was not practicing the way that I did. And I believed that it was the quote unquote healthiest to eat the quote unquote cleanest, most non-processed foods, locally sourced, organic, right. you know, non everything, right? Like, and that's not an inherently, it really is an inherently disordered way to, it's not an inherently disordered way to live. However, because I, you know, believed that there were foods that were good and there were foods that were bad. And I, I, I exercised out of obligation rather than doing something that I enjoyed. And I, you know, I had a lot of negative self-talk, like, oh, I can't believe you like 
Chinese food, whatever it is, right? That like I deemed unhealthy at the time, uh, you know. Um, and so for a long time, I, I stopped eating that way, right? And I didn't, I didn't seek out the opposite of, of you know, non-processed foods. I just started allowing those things back into my daily repertoire, and I really had to challenge the guilt and the the judgment around those foods. And again, once I then made peace with those foods and those foods also lost their novelty, I was then able to kind of say like, all right. So I actually really liked buying the milk from the farm down the street, you know, and like, what is my relationship with that? Cause before it was like, I have to only buy farm fresh <laughs> milk. And now I would totally buy farm fresh milk, right? If it was convenient or if I could get there and it, you know, like I'll totally support that. But the the, the difference is I can also tolerate if I'm running short of time or I'm incredibly stressed or I don't have the capacity or the the farm is closed Mm -hmm. to get a gallon of milk from the freaking store at the gas station. Right. And that's also okay too. So I can Mm -hmm. choose how much of my time and energy I want to invest in the way that I eat. Right. Mm -hmm. And decide what that works if that works for me and also remembering that that process is and those decisions are dynamic right just because I decide that I like buying locally local meat from wherever that doesn't mean that I'm a bad person if I don't and so it's really exploring that relationship and again circling back right to you know, before also I, I had to have a vegetable at every single meal and it had to be the majority of what, I, you know, and like, and then after a while, I was like, fuck these vegetables. I'm not mm-hmm. chopping a million things of kale to stick in my, I'm done with this. I'm going to pour a jar of spaghetti stuff. Right. And I was very anti putting a million vegetables into my food because it really sucked the life out of me for so long. Now I'm finding like, okay, yeah, actually, I, you know, when I have the capacity to do so, I actually really like doing that because it's stuff from my garden and like, it's cool. But also when I don't have time to do that, it's also okay as well. And so I think again, it's, you know, for me, it was rediscovering what is my relationship like with these foods for others? It's, you know, gentle nutrition, maybe is that where they're finally able to be at a point where, okay, I can start thinking about managing maybe my celiac disease through nutrition, right? Or I can start thinking about, all right, how do I align my, my intake, my nutrition in with what my body needs for glucose regulation or, you know, or things like that. And so Mm -hmm. it's very individualized, but it takes a lot of work and care and, and, uh, you know, establishing certain principles first, and then taking another hard look at you know, what do I want to do with this? How do I want to, how do I want to make my food serve me? Right. Yeah. Well, it's just so interesting. That was such a more personal question for me because, um, listeners, um, as most of you know, Kristen is a good friend of mine from back home. And when I had everything happen and I had a colostomy bag, I had a dramatic weight loss, obviously due to the trauma and the malnourishment that I was going through, um, from being NPO. If you don't know what that means, it means no food or water for 11 days in the hospital. And then they sent me home and I was on medicine that did not give me an appetite. So I just really struggled. So I reached out to her and she has been my counselor and my dietitian and helping me through that. And one of the things that she told me was that most likely after my reversal and things started to um, 
heal and I started to heal that there would be weight gain and that is totally normal. And so I experienced it, all of the dramatic weight loss that I had, I gained back. I'm not going to mention pounds, but I then I have finally settled and I'm, I'm at a a pound number above what I was when everything happened. And which is normal because I had such a dramatic weight loss. Mm -hmm. And so I have to remember that. But one of the things I have noticed is that my body hasn't put on more weight. So right now, what, what goes through my head every time is the conversation that Kristen and I had, which was your body does that as a preservation. And so I'm not in this constant state of gaining because I'm not really eating anything more. I mean, I'm eating a lot of sweets right now because I baked up a storm the other day and I, I like it. I have a cookie here, <laughs> this peppermint bark, right? Like it's okay. Cause that's what I want. But it's been interesting because I, I kept seeing this, the, the number go up and I got frantic and I was like, I'm, I'm happy. Like I'm eating when I'm hungry. I'm learning my hunger cues. And there are days where I'm ravenous, you guys. And then there's other days where I'm like, Ugh, me and Alicia actually were just talking about that. Like we either go from like starving to like, I don't even want to think about food right now. And I'm honoring that. I'm not like obsessed with, well, I've got to hit my macros and my this and all this crazy talk in my head that I had made up when I was in the throes of some disordered eating. But it's interesting because I kept being like, when am I going to get to that point where like, I'm worried about my nutrition. And really right now, I, I don't have anything that is like in deficit, right? Like I'm not in, you know, knock on wood in the perils of having to regulate glucose or eliminate anything because besides like eggs, because of my food allergy, but like, I was like, maybe number 10 doesn't necessarily have to be an endpoint, right? Like that gentle nutrition doesn't mm-hmm. have to be like this huge step. Like it's all the other stuff. And then it made sense to me. This is why I wanted to hear your answer to it. Why it's the last step, because mm-hmm. so many other times, all of those other steps are so more important. And once you've done that, you've probably already done 10 and you don't realize it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, yes, I was totally. like, and I was like, just thinking in my yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm that's just okay. thinking was in like, my mind. Crazy, you know, the but... story is like most people <clears throat> when they are at a phase, right. Where you were there, like, am I doing, I don't know how to do this. Like, I just, I must be missing. They're usually already doing it. Right. Like right. they're, they're honoring their hunger. They're, they're listening to their body. They're saying like, what do I feel like? Like, do I, you know, again, there's some days where I'm like, Oh my God, I just need some comfort. I just need some mac and cheese. And I'll feel so much better. Mm-hmm. And then there's other days where I'm like, damn, I need a salad stepped because mm-hmm. I've not pooped today or whatever it is like right. you know in in being able to have a really well established relationship with the first nine principles gentle nutrition often for many people just kind of falls into place and it's something that they're already engaging in right like and you can do that by being able to listen to your body acknowledge what it needs respect what it needs and and give it you know what it needs um yeah. and so that's a lot of people's experience as well I think sure. too, Thank the big so thing that, that I, the big thing I'm taking down, um, is that, and Jess and I, again, we, our conversations seem to always align with things, but life mm-hmm. isn't linear. It's cyclical. So mm-hmm. it's always like, you're constantly always in this movement in this cyclone of movement. And so I relate again, probably cause I'm a coach to what you're saying as like people that read self-help books and they're consciously trying to improve who they are be open and grow as a human um I've had conversation with somebody who they're like I can't believe you're reading that book again and they they looked at like me reading a self-help book a second or a third time as 
well clearly it didn't help me so why why am I reading it again and I look at it as well I'm a new person right now so there's another grain there's another like tool that I'm going to get out of it now and in the person Alicia is today you know and I love the honoring of hey if you need to go back and this week we're focusing on step four fabulous let's do that and it's about being aligned and so Mm -hmm. every day we have to realign ourselves nobody wakes up 100 Mm -hmm. of the time completely aligned with every area of our lives that's just not doable so like how I how I'm picking up what you're talking about with especially the gentle nutrition is like when you're aligned with with your body and your needs Mm -hmm. and what you want in that day, it kind of like just seamlessly flows. And there will be days that maybe you need to look at nutrition differently. But today, maybe you're just looking at honoring your hunger. Are you hungry? Or are you just moody? Like, have you had a drop of water? You know, like the other day, I was like, I don't know if I'm hungry, bloated or dehydrated. And then I was like, (laughs) you know what? I've only had two cups of coffee today and not a cup of water. Let's try with the water and then we'll see where it goes from there, you know? And I'm like, oh, I wasn't hungry. I am bloated. I'm also bloated because I'm so dehydrated, you know? So it's just like, oh, let me slow down and think about that. But I love that, like, there's no perfection needed to master the intuitive eating, you know? And that's what I'm loving every time you talk about it is because I'm not perfect. I don't know if you guys have heard. I'm very imperfect. And that's fabulous. Because Mm -hmm. perfection doesn't exist. And I think so many times there's diet programs or regimens, and it's all about being perfect in that moment. And I think the beautiful thing about this is it's going to honor you wherever you are in that moment in your perfect imperfectness, Mm -hmm. you know? It's so interesting that you said that because I literally, we, A, we were talking about water today, Alicia and I, because Alicia and I will go through like about where we will text each other a hundred times in one day. And then one of us will text and then not text back for three days and be like, go, you good? <laughs> you know, like, okay, well, and we'll pick up the conversation. Like we, the three days didn't lapse, but like we were talking earlier today and she's like, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm going to take a bath. I'm like you should light some candles. I'm like on my sixth one of these, right? Like, so I've been peeing nonstop all day, but then there are days where I'm like, I literally maybe have one, you know? And like, so I feel like the, like water is important for me, but I've also, I've also noticed for me during obviously times of the month, because women, first of all, women are an anomaly. Okay. Like we need to remember that too. We, if we've got female bits and parts and hormones and people who identify, and if they're, you know, consuming hormones that are going to shift them like this, we have to understand that that is a completely different internal clock of our wants and our needs. There is a reason why you're like, Mm. I feel like a bag of chips. Like there is, you have a sodium deficiency at that point and your body is craving salt. Not, not that it's going, I need you to get those Lay's salt vinegar out of the cupboard, but your body is, t- is telling you different things, right? Like when you are wanting sweets, it's because possibly your glucose is going a little low and it's going, this is what spikes everything up. So you're going to either want like a fruit craving or this, or like you said, like there are moments when you're like, 
oh, I've had, you know, your body's like, I've had a little high fats or, or high carbohydrates. Maybe a salad would be good. And you have that vegetable thing. So that whole thing about intuitive eating, literally like just listening to your body has changed my world. And so, um, I, and I'm a walking testament to it. I'm a walking testament that health doesn't look like a special size, but I feel like I wouldn't be in the place I am right now if Kristen hadn't introduced me to those thought processes as well as Chrissy Harrison's book, because that's been a huge part of everything. But I feel like you, like even that question that I just had, like, when will I ever get to gentle nutrition is a legit question. Like so many people, again, cause I'm one, I'm a step follower. I'm like, okay, well, I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Okay. All right. Um, anyway, we can get out. We can go on that for hours. Um, so we're going to kind of switch things now because we're going to move into our last little, well, no, that's a lie. We're here for 17 more hours. Um, uh, we're going to, I'm going to save this one. If we're following along friends in our notes, I'm going to move that to the bottom. Um, but I was going to talk to you about, um, and I'm going to skip this next one because I couldn't find. So I've been listening to Fa- fierce fatty. My next question was about like how, larger body people have now also added labels to themselves. I could not find the labels that Victoria Wellsby had spoke of. So maybe we'll talk about that in a future episode, but I was just like, why do people love labels so much? Like, why do we have to have someone be, you know, and this and that and all this, but so we're going to skip that a little bit. Um, but, um, so it's, I think that it, the, the, the issue that I'm, I think would be helpful because we just spent a lot, a, a good deal of time talking about intuitive eating. Um, one of the things I found interesting was she, Christy Harrison had recently on her podcast, the founder of it. And they were talking about how, if you read like the first edition of their studies and their books and their literature on intuitive eating to where it is now, how much it has evolved and how some of it would be considered diet culture, um, paraphernalia, if you will, or even kind of systems. So, um, again, adapting from its initial conception and rollout, what, what do you think is important for our listeners, your, your clients, your patients, and anybody who doesn't really know about intuitive eating to understand? Like, why is it, what, what is it that they should understand and why they should remember it's different in every body? Yeah, sense. totally. Because I think the biggest reason is because this journey starts in such a different place for all people. So, you know, it's important. And I always talk with my clients about this. It's so important for people to begin to understand the function that either their, their eating disorder, their disordered eating, their chronic dieting, et cetera. It's really important for them to understand the function and, and, and how that served them um, in order to truly kind of grasp what diet culture has, has taken from them. And, you know, people, most people have experienced, or some people anyway, have experienced an incredible amount of trauma surrounding their bodies, which has thus informed their decisions to pursue weight loss or a shift in their size in some capacity. Um, Understanding trauma and unpacking it often comes with moving through the principles of intuitive intuitive eating, right? And you know, everybody's trauma can be related to, you know, different pieces of, or excuse me, different principles through intuitive eating, right? Somebody's trauma may be related to, you know, really embedded in, um, you know, uh, challenging the food police and really like, you know, having to spend time um, and do the work around, okay, what does it mean to talk back to the food police and, and then what comes up and how does that either 
how has my trauma, my past experience informed my ability to do that? And am I stuck here? You know, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, so trauma plays such a big role in the breakdown of this natural intuitive eating process. Um, you know, and so it's really important as people are moving through this, these principles, um, you know, to understand that the duration um, of time and what that process looks like is completely different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. So true. One of the things interesting, cause you know, Alicia and I have shared our journey with um, her with PCOS, me with endo. Um, my wife has lupus. Um, there's a lot of literature. There's a lot of social media. There's a lot of quote unquote scientific studies that um, a lot of these things can be healed with or improved with diet control, Um, Mm -hmm. anti-inflammatory diets, um, you know, elimination diets, low FODMAP, things like that. Um, Why do you think this sort of misinformation is literally devoured sometime by innocent people and obviously why it's promoted by some people in the medical industry? Um, And it's literally just people desperate at this point for any sort of relief, which I think sometimes can also result in placebo effect when if Mm -hmm. they really kind of I'm going to put my hand up and say that you guys I eliminated I eliminated I did low FODMAP I eliminated um, uh, gluten I have eliminated dairy and though sometimes it felt like things change I can tell you right now that I've been eating a lot of gluten because that's what I could eat after my colostomy I've had I've had dairy and I'm not like I don't see a difference if that makes sense, now that they're back into my diet. So go with that with you. How, why do you think this sort of misinformation is just like so easy, easily consumed by people that again, yeah, what is, they put in their mouth? This is so toxic. This, this topic that you're bringing up right now, it is so toxic. And I think one of the reasons it is so um, is because it indirectly places blame on the person suffering from the condition for getting or having it in the first place. Um, But in the same breath, it offers a glimmer of hope, right? Because if you quote unquote helped cause the disease disorder condition, you can also help reverse it, right? Mm -hmm. And that message is so insidious. Now, what I'm not saying is that some chronic conditions, such as the ones that you had just mentioned, can't be helped or managed by, you know, to some degree with nutrition. I'm not negating that. But what I am saying is that nutrition is not the, the end-all be-all. Um, it can be a step in, the po- in a positive direction. But when other factors such as genetics, medications, privilege, et cetera, you know, are not recognized or acknowledged as contributors to the chronic condition as well, people will pine over this information, right? Just devour this information because because it's portrayed as the, the one and only solution to a very, very complex problem. And so I think, again, that this is just so toxic because of the blame that it places indirectly. Um, because if, you know, well, if you hadn't maybe ate this way or that, then maybe, you know, and so in, it, it's just insidious. And so, yeah, that would be my answer. <laughs> I, I just, I think it's so hard because you're, I mean, that's such a good answer because both Alicia and I have had those 
mm-hmm. kind of comments given to us, right? Like um, both of us have tried things too. And I, I have to admit, I started doing some celery juice in the morning, which the person whose book I read about it said it is not a meal replacement. It is not, it is, it's like taking a vitamin. That's how you have to look at it. It is in addition to your normal things. You're not cutting out anything else. But I also feel like it's really harmful for people to feel like you said, like you caused it. Now you have to fix it. Because if my body doesn't respond to the said elimination, um, then it, I'm somehow either not being truthful in the elimination that I participated in or you know, you're not doing it enough, right? Like, so, and I'm, I'm using myself as an example because listeners, that happened to me when all of this stuff was going on before we knew it was clear endo that had ravaged every of my, every one of my female organs and my, my colon and my small intestines, they were telling me that I just needed to eat low FODMAP, that I had IBS and I just needed to do this. And I was like, how much more can I cut out of my diet? Like if low FODMAP isn't even meant to be a diet, it is literally meant to be an elimination process to learn food triggers. That's what it's supposed to be. It's not meant to be like this, you eat low FODMAP for the rest of your life. And so I I said to them, how is this? It's no, it's not helping. So this is like, I'm literally drinking vegetable broth and eating soggy gluten-free crackers still having the attacks that I'm having because it wasn't that it was because endometriosis was ravaging the insides of me. And here we are, you know, so listeners, I'm sorry, I had to throw that question in there because I was like, God, I, I, it's happening a lot. I'm going to bounce around because, oh my God, we're almost out of time. I told you we could have had like 17 episodes. (laughs) Um, I do want to, Alicia had added some questions. So Alicia, I'm going to let you take it away with some of your questions if you wanted to do that. And then I wanted to circle back to one last two ones. So we might go a little over listeners bonus, bonus minutes. <laughs> I mean, <Well>. We almost <laughs> always do now. <laughs> um, so recently Lizzo has had a lot of criticism online. I don't know if you know about the latest quote unquote scandal. So she's all about body positivity, but she did go on and say, I think it was after, don't quote me, but I think she said she did this after Thanksgiving that she did a 10 day juice cleanse. Um, and mm-hmm. so people were shaming her for saying she did that. And like, also, I also think on the side note that there is this shaming that happens to heavier people that lose weight because they choose to do that. And we don't know what their path was. Maybe it was a healthy, maybe they did it, you know, whatever. And then it's like, well, if you wanted us to love your, your, like, why'd you ever change that? I know a lot of people talk shit about Adele for that, which just is a whole other toxic thing, but I just kind of wanted to, um, you know, she cited that she was sleeping better. Her skin was better. She was just feeling better after doing this. Um, and I just kind of wanted to know your thoughts. Cause I know you're not a fan of cleanses. Um, mm. And so I just kind of want to know, like, if you saw that and kind of what your internal reaction was. I did. You know, my thoughts are this first and foremost, anybody can choose to do whatever they want with their body, right? Just because, you know, there is, or is not, you know, people believe the evidence to support a juice cleanse or not support a juice cleanse, right? Like it's your body, your decision, you have autonomy over your own, right? So um, anybody can choose again, to do whatever they want with their body. Second, you know, we are all living in this diet culture. And while, you know, sometimes it is easy to spot, other times it's really not so easy. Um, it, it can be really hard to decipher whether or not something is actually diet-based or health-focused. And mm. honestly, I would, I would really never judge anybody that chose to discover that for themselves. 
And I would never invalidate somebody's positive experience they, they had with something. You know, for example, there's not a lot of, of evidence-based research to support food sensitivity testing, right? There's these tests that can be done and you can just take a test or I, I actually don't know even how they work. It's probably a blood test, but anyway, you can take this test um, and you can find out what foods that you are sensitive to. And, and interestingly enough, these tests, you can turn out to be allergic or sensitive to things that you've been eating your entire life without a problem. You know, yeah, it's just this raising her hand. You know, yeah. However, right, if somebody tells me that they eliminated something from their diet because they had this food sensitivity testing and you know they had been eating it fine and and then they felt better mm. far be it for me to invalidate that experience right. right and so regarding lizzo's choices the bottom line is that she you we are all in control of our own bodies and you are the expert of your own experience not me or anybody else especially the fucking internet trolls i love that that's like so magical because you're so right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just love that. Um, and then the other um, big one that I had is because, you know, I know a lot of people are wanting to make a physical change with their body or their health, however you want to word it. Um, and do you have, um, you know, and I know we talk about like, um, intuitive eating and all that. Not everyone has the means to hire somebody like you um, to help them, but what if they want to start a journey and changing that and like, how can they set that intention in like as healthy and helpful of a way as possible? Like what, what little piece of advice would you give for our listeners? Yeah. So when somebody's in a space like this, you know, where maybe they want to lose weight, um, you know, or whatever, but they are also very sick of being played right by diet culture. They're in that kind of middle ground. Like I do want to, I wish I was smaller. I, I feel like I could be in a healthy way, but I also am just done with this dieting and all of this stuff and engaging in all of this bullshit. You know, I often... I ask them to do some reflecting and I ask mm. questions like, well, where did you learn in the first place that it was wrong to be in a larger body? Or who taught you that gaining weight meant a loss of control? Or who, who in your life, in your experience, assigned value to your size? Mm. Another big one that I'd like to ask is, is who benefits or profits directly off of your belief that your body is incorrect? Mm. And the answer is rich white men, by the way. So, you know, for many people in larger bodies, right, their desire to lose weight is often so connected to the, their ostracization, I think that's a word, mm. them being ostracized from many commonplace activities or privileges their smaller body counterparts have unlimited unrestricted access to right like fitting comfortably in an airplane seat or a booth at a restaurant or or having to fear judgment and blame about their bodies at the doctor's office right these are not things that people who have thin privilege experience so mm -hmm. that is and that is not unreasonable to want to be included in those right. you know very basic you know human human rights and human privileges you know I to acknowledge this 
Hold on. He stopped a little bit. She'll be back. Oh, no. She's frozen. Oh, she is. Am I Let frozen? Oh, there no, you are. You're back. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was like, I was frozen. I was totally gone. It's fine. <laughs> You're like puckering your lips. You're like... <laughs> So what I was saying is, you know, for many people in larger bodies, they are just ostracized from um, many of the commonplace smaller body people or people that have been privileged to, you know, and I really encourage people to um, acknowledge this and use appropriate language for what it actually is, which is oppression and discrimination. Because yes, while they are the ones who are directly impacted and have to suffer through it, it should not be their burden to carry. And, you know, we as a culture and a system need to do better. And so I encourage people to acknowledge this. And again, just get comfortable using this language that like, yes, they are living with the idea that their body is a problem because our culture doesn't include them. Mm -hmm. And yes, that unfortunately directly impacts them, but that is not their fault, their burden, nor again, like I said, it should not be to carry and so instead of directing the anger and 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 um, frustration at their own body we need to direct it at our at our systems that are in place that are oppressing um you know a large part of our population mm-hmm. i mean that's just that's it right there we could we could write a book and end it with that if we needed to <laughs> yeah definitely um where, do I, where are we? I've lost my place because I was singing Let It Go. Oh my gosh. My internet connection is unstable. Oh, let's see here. I am unstable as well. <laughs> I'll put my hand up and say that. Um, before we kind of go, Alicia had a really good one, I think. Um, oh, my word. With, yeah, I want to end with that. But I was going to talk to you because I think this kind of ties in with what you said, like, starting a journey intense, thinking about where it comes from, who it benefits. And recently I had a listener who's also a friend reach out and they're really struggling to turn down the noise that's in their head. They have been in the grips and talons of diet culture. They have had a weight loss and they've been praised for that weight loss. And mm. again, some, most of the time that validates people, it validates all their hard work, the things they've given up, all that kind of stuff. And um, I know that from the time that I've spent with it, that it's really, um, you know, it's, it's better for us to offer small incentives or small nuggets of information um, and small changes, but it's obviously it's a daily battle. We all struggle with it, especially that's why intuitive eating is looked at as a practice. And again, it's that cyclical stuff. We're never going to check everything off and be done with it. We're going to do it for the rest of our lives. Um, Why is it important, do you think, especially even just for this listener, that when we discuss things like intuitive eating and haze, health at every size, that we don't force feed them the information? Because I find, again, like what you did with me, this is a really good podcast. This is a really good book. And then when people start to digest or consume that information on their own, that will trigger or, um, you know, instigate the the talks or the questions. Um, Because I think it's easy for people to be like, you're beautiful, you know, stop getting into diet culture you don't have to do that as opposed to like what you just even said like where did these thoughts come from where did you where did you first experience this so um you kind of already answered the question but like why do you think it's so important that we don't force feed people things like intuitive eating and haze when they literally just spent their lives 
consumed by this and also perpetuating it to like other people like I did the this and I did the this and I'm I did the this and now they're mm-hmm. like mm. you know like so why why not force feed them why is it better to gently guide people I think the biggest reason is because you know people need to be ready to hear it right because when you are talking about shifting within this paradigm right are out of that paradigm to sort of a health at every size and intuitive eating uh, lens and framework, it is a big shift. And that can be a really hard pill to swallow for some people who have spent their lives, right, connected to the idea that being in a larger body is unhealthy and bad, and there's a good and a bad way to all the things, right? Um, you know, a particular for many people, right? I mean, even myself, right? When I, when I learned that the way that I was practicing, you know, from the you know, um, original paradigm that I learned, right. Weigh this and not that and eat this and not that, like that there was a one, a different way to practice and a more, uh, scientifically sound, you know, way to practice. I was like, fuck, Oh God. And that's a lot to have to reckon with. Right. For me in my experience, it wasn't necessarily me trying on a journey to shrink my own body, but it was I engaged and I gave, I taught people, right. Or attempted to teach people how to shrink their bodies. And that was a really, that's, so that's a tough place to have to be right for uh, on many levels, you know? Um, but for a lot of people, it's unfortunately they get to a place where they they've hit rock bottom, you know, from dieting. And it's, it's really an awful place to be, but generally people, when people are in this place, they are, more or the most apt to recognize that what they're doing isn't working for them. And this is the time where they want and are ready for change, but they aren't necessarily sure what to do. For people who are not necessarily in a place where they're ready to change, just as you said, you know, simply sharing bits and pieces from your own journey um, is at least a way to plant a seed for some that there is an alternative way of living, you know, aside from the lifelong pursuit of, of weight loss, you know, and I, I mean, I, I, I did it over this past, you know, holiday season, right. Where my, um, a family member of mine who I'm not super close with is like married into the family kind of right. And like, doesn't really know what I do. She asked what I did. And I told her I was a dietitian and she immediately went to the weight loss train. I was like, Oh, and just assumed that that was how she would relate with to me, you know, through, and I, I, you know, you also have to decide uh, who you are going to, you know, invest time in, <laughs> in uh, saying, you know, actually this, that, or the other thing. Um, and I just said, no, I actually, um, su- you know, surprisingly enough, I, I don't do weight loss at all. I'm not that kind of dietitian. And she said, oh, well, what do you mean? And, and so I said, well, I, you know, I practice this, that, and the other way and just left it kind of very vague. And she immediately wanted to know more and understand because she just didn't know and was, and was genuinely interested because she just assumed that because I am a dietitian, I must tell people how to lose weight and how to eat healthy. Um, and she didn't know that there was a whole lot more to that. So, you know, just simply a very vague, like, no, actually I, I do it a little differently. Um, that was really interesting to her. And she's the one that asked more questions. And so, like you said, bits and, you know, small bits and pieces, if somebody is, seems to be having these conversations, um, because then when, 
when you do that, then they know that, oh, okay, I can learn more if I choose. So, and mm-hmm. she does know, seem to know something different. And so when I'm ready, you know, she'd be the person I would go, go and ask. Yeah. That's how I felt. I mean, I feel it's, I feel like we've reached someone with our podcast, which I think is impactful and important. And you know, one, you know, one of the things they've communicated with me that it's just hard to do this or hard to do that. And I'm constantly doing this. And I, I said, well, I don't think you can get rid of everything. You know, you can't get rid of your, my fitness pal. You can't get rid of your scale. You can't get rid of your tape measure. Like don't do it. That's like cutting everything to cold Turkey, right? Like you, you these are learned behaviors that you're going to have to learn to adapt and change slowly. Um, for me, she said, well, what would you do? And I said, the first thing I did when, when all this started is I don't have a scale. Lisa has a scale in her bathroom, but I don't have a scale anymore because I was an obsessive step on the scale person. Mm-hmm. And that was how I measured worth and how I measured to success and, and how I measured failure. And that to me, wasn't worth it. And then I also got rid of my fitness pal later because everybody got hacked on my fitness pal. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> well, you know what? They're like these, you know, in so many ways, <laughs> so many different ways. And so I, and I said that to her, I said, you know, it can, you don't even have to get rid of it. You could change your numbers. And, and, and instead of being in this quote unquote calorie deficit that she was so obsessed with being in. And I was like, and just learn how to up it. And then soon you're not going to reference it anymore. You know, like, so it was good. It was a really good conversation, but I think that that's the biggest thing is we can't force, you can't give people everything kind of like your political views or anything like that, because as long as you can like have discussions with them that make them, I think feel comfortable coming to you is important. Um, and I think that's the other thing too, is that we have to remember that, you know, a majority of the population has been trained in the caste systems and the racist behaviors mm-hmm. we've all been part of to, to believe that thin is the best. And that you, if you aren't, then, you know, it goes for centuries of that. And, um, we have a lot of, uh, centuries worth of, things to unravel and to prove wrong. And there's still people that are saying that intuitive eating isn't right and health that there's not health at every size. And again, it's who's the people to, I mean, literally on Chrissy's podcast, the people who are, are, are challenging the, the debunking of obesity and COVID related issues are bariatric surgeons. So who, who benefits from saying that having a bariatric surgery will improve, will improve you not quote unquote getting COVID than a bariatric surgeon, right? Like who, 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 where does that follow the money is I guess what we could always say. Um, But this has been such a good conversation. Alicia, you had the best way I think to like wrap up because we're going to have you back just so you know I mean I'm already thinking of like the next time what we're going to talk about because it's so important your work is so incredible um but Lisa why don't you wrap us up and we can maybe all kind of say something on that so So every year I love to come up with what my year the word will mean for next year and so funnily enough for 2020 my year was healing and so I thought it meant something else, but it was all about like all my medical issues that, that I was having, you know, and it ended up actually being very symbolic for me. So I'm interested to know if you have chosen what 2021 word will be for you. For me, mine this year will be space. And so I've defined that as um, creating a community of pe- for people to safely come 
to help within my zone of genius, a space for me to create content, a space for healing, a space to receive payment, and a space for people to evolve and grow within. So that's the year that I've set the intention for 2021. And I'm interested to know um, if you have one and what it means to you. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, I hadn't thought of this or hadn't even thought to think about 2020 as instead of like a resolution or, you know, just to um, put some intention around a word. And I, so I thought about it after I read your question and I think, I think my word would be brave, um, <clears throat> which is funny because it's actually like our little tagline, right? Is be bravely at Mononox Nutrition Services, but, um, you know, be brave, brave enough to um, continue to step out side of my comfort zone and be brave enough to um, continue to prioritize myself um, wow. as I am really starting to learn how to do, uh, be brave enough to grow my business um, and to take a risk um, and also to help others to be brave uh, in finding themselves at being um, their own sort of really genuine and authentic selves as they navigate through their own um, recovery. I love that. Oh, that is just <laughs> sound and hand motion. Um, I think for me right now, um, it's interesting because I didn't write it down because I wanted to be in the moment when I answered the question, but I have been doing a lot of work with um, the Edie and I committee at our work. So equity, diversity, and inclusion. And um, I've talked a little bit about this with you, Alicia, but I think my word for 2021 is going to be evolve mm -hmm. because I want to see the theater industry evolve. I want them to cut their racist ties, behaviors, and weights. I want to see myself evolve from a very transformative year. Um, I am evolving what Raw Inspirations Dance Company means and is and does. Mm -hmm. I'm evolving what the dance community in um, my area is focused on because I was heavily involved in competition dance for many years and I this year has caused me to pivot away from that and take what we've learned and what was helpful and, and inspired growth but move that to something different um, so I just want to see things evolve I want to see um, the work that I'm doing grow, but I also don't want it to just be like a focus on growth. Cause I think growth means like it has to have like a, a beginning stage, a middle and an end. And I think evolve allows it to be almost that circular kind of motion, like, because we're always evolving from one step to the next. And so there's not an end destination in mind, which I know is not the best in manifesting. You're supposed to have clear goals and things and, and the <laughs> smart dates. Goal, smart goal. So I'm not right. I'm like, I'm like work smartly, not harder or whatever that is. Is, but like I just I feel like there's a lot of room for involvement in the things that I have my hands in right now and um, if that means I evolve out of one thing and that doesn't serve me anymore then that's even more poetic at that point so I like that evolve is my 2021 I love it. Hmm. so well thank you so much Kristen for joining us I appreciate you as always for being here with us Alicia why don't you tell them where they can find you then Kristen can do the same yeah come find me on Instagram at the purple dash um, and check out my link because I have a free Facebook group that I'll be doing free sessions all month awesome. perfect and Kristen, where can they find you? Yeah, so I am on Instagram and Facebook at Monadnock Nutrition Services. My website is 
manadnocknutritionservices.com, or you can email me at hello at manadnocknutritionservices.com. Perfect. And you can give us a follow, a share, and five stars. You can find us um, if you want to join the conversation, which we would love to hear from you at conversationswithanj at gmail.com, all one word, all lowercase. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Conversations with A&J. And we are so excited because we've got lots of great things coming up in 2021, including more visits with Miss Kristen. She'll be here with us. We have lots of other things. Maybe we won't make her only talk about nutrition. Maybe we'll poke her brain in other ways too um, for you guys. But we appreciate you. We want you to join the conversation. And thank you so much. Thank Thanks, you. everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye.